0: Welcome to episode 54 of the Frio Big Footy podcast. Apologies for uh, no podcast last week, but unfortunately we were out travelling and didn't get a chance to put the uh, pod together, but we're back this week with a vengeance, and this week we'll be having a look at uh, the terrific uh, first half in particular in the Derby, bit of key news through the week with the resigning, and then obviously having a look at the big grudge match this week with the Len Hall game coming up. Joining us this week is our usual resident Victorian expert, Seppo, how are you, mate?
1: Good evening, and glad to be back for another week of football and our team sitting up there undefeated.
0: Absolutely, and also joining us this week, uh, back from his uh, summer hibernation, is Belcaro. How are you, mate? Thanks for coming on board.
2: Good. Not a problem, as always.
0: All right. This week we've got uh, obviously Fremantle went into the derby last week. Pretty warm favourites at a dollar thirty-two, I think it was in the end. And uh, as you said, after the first quarter, they should have been like a dollar one, but in the end. They sort of took their foot off the pedal with a 17 goal 9, 111 to 12 goals 9, 81. So a 30, pretty comfortable 30 point win. Though so if you uh, read the paper in the week, um, you certainly get some differing views with the media there, Seppo. With uh, I think Justin Chadwick saying Fremantle survived a final quarter pounding from West Coast. But uh, as he said, I mean, if you looked at that first quarter, that was pretty emphatic and uh, certainly probably the best quarter we've played for quite some time.
1: If anyone think the Eagles actually um, fought pretty hard was um, probably looking at the stats and not actually watching the game to see how it unfolded because it was um, it was probably only small lapses of concentration from the Frio players that they probably just went into the mindset that they were done and dusted and thinking about next week. But certainly uh, even just some of the goals that the Eagles got to reduce that margin back was, well, two of them were... Uh, a really odd set of bounce that they didn't recall, that nearly got a clear tap out the back that Sandlands didn't even compete for, that resulted in a goal, and another was a silly mistake by, uh, I think it was Mundy or McFarlane on the back line, just kicking it into the man of the mark, which would never usually happen, it just reminds me of the last uh, quarter against Sydney in the prelim last year, where the result was done, and the guys just sort of sat back and relaxed, so... Obviously, well, it would be a different case this week, but it was just great to sort of put the Eagles away at the end of the first quarter. You know, I did think that the margin would have been a lot closer well, to how it sort of finished, but when it was sort of way out, I thought these guys are going to put the um, cue in the rack and just sort of grind out and not put them to the sword like we've never really done. And what prompted me to look after the match is our average winning margin spread over the last couple of years. And... 30 points is almost the average under um, Ross Lyon that we seem to win by. So it's just a magical number that we sort of end up finishing up on no matter who we play.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, obviously, it's a, I, mean, I mean, you can certainly see both sides of it of the sort of um, spectrum with it with in terms of probably a little bit uh, disappointing not to see the four-quarter effort. And obviously looking for top two at the end of the year, that percentage could come into play. And we just don't, you know, there was no real reason to take the foot off the pedal there and, you know, as I said, you can certainly see both sides of the story, but um, it certainly gave Lyon something to work on during the week anyway, that's for sure. Uh, what were your thoughts, Valcrum? Oh, absolutely.
2: I think everyone said the same thing. We, You don't like to say it, but you, it definitely looked like we took the foot off the pedal. But at the end of the day, 30-point victory, no injuries, uh, another victory, 3-0. It's and It's a very good day.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, over... I was obviously over in Melbourne during the week and obviously um, Dermot Burton had quite a big story on Locking Neil there and he certainly um, didn't let him down with a terrific performance winning the Ross Glen medal with 42 touches and eight clearances, I think three goals and uh, you know him and Stephen Hill were certainly damaging early in the game and uh, you know, just their ball movement was, at, you know as a, I think the best way to describe it is what the commentators did, it was quite clinical and it uh, you know, was just amazing how much better we looked with Taverner in the, in the forward line up there as well, just giving us that bit more structure. And just a lazy
2: three from Taberna, even though uh, Pav had a quiet day by the, yeah, the lofty standards of Pav. But
1: It's just amazing what someone like Tabena can do to our forward line. The fact that he kicked three goals, but for most of the game, he didn't seem too influential, but still had a lot to do in terms of when Pav went up the ground. It was still a target there. And w- what it seems to me the difference from this year is we are keeping that stay at home forward for that quick slingshot footy over the back. And there's someone there as opposed to the last few years when we've sort of gone into the forward line after a quick counter and there's no one there. But I suppose when the guy's running it out of people like Stephen Hill, you don't need guys in the forward line. If he's just going to slot them for the uh, centre square, which was um, just marvellous, just going back over the highlights to see
2: how well Stephen Hill got off the chain it was, um, yeah, it's, it's a beauty. Yeah. I mean you say Tabner didn't have that much you know he didn't look to have that much um, influence on the game, but i mean seven marks three goals two i mean it's a uh, you'd be very happy to have that week in week out from a uh, from a from your key forward
1: a foil for Pav is um yeah, it's it's a brilliant job to get three goals it's probably more than everyone would have expected him from him, but he's there doing it and he's learning the craft and he's just Providing Pav a bit of the chop out, it's going to become more important next
2: week as you start to get more of a, a backline rather than what the Eagles had out there. Yeah, I mean, while well, I was a discussion with one of the guys at work during the week, and just saying, are we going to look at Tab at Tabs as the uh, as the future Pav? And I said, well, from a all around all around the ground perspective, you're never going to come close. But as a stay home forward, as a forward, he has potential. I'm, I'm actually really excited about Tabner being in the team.
0: Yeah, I think um, I think there's no doubt that Tabba has cemented his spot in the side, and uh, absolutely. And he just needs, and they just need to keep working and getting those games into him because he's only going to get better for it. I think the other interesting thing was, um, as you talked a little bit before, um, Seppo, about the, playing that slingshot style. Since line, Lyon, you know, has come into the club, against West Coast, we've managed to always do it pretty well with that slingshot. But it was interesting, even um, in one passage of play there, where I think they brought the ball through the middle. Tabba actually stayed quite a. Stayed right back near the goal line, and they just managed to. Once they broke that line, they just Suckley, I think, just kicked it over the top to Taberna. And uh, it's interesting when you hear a lot of uh, you know people who watch the game say, "Well, when they just do that press, why don't you just leave someone right back?" And uh, it was one of those times where it all sort of managed to jog uh, you know, really well. But you know, it's just one of those games I think where uh, everything was clicking for Fremantle, and uh, as you said, even when Nat knew he did manage to win a couple of right rock- knockouts. And then we were just managing to shark it. And they're, uh, and he said just they just struggled to not only contain our inside but also the outside where we were, had more tackles than they did even though we were comfortably ahead on the scoreboard. So, yeah, I mean, it was just a terrific performance. And, uh, you know, I think we'll probably need that this week when we get into the Swans and we'll look at that a little bit more later on. Is there anyone any else? Yeah, there? I want
2: to make a mention to uh, my buddy, Zach Clark. I think he had a, uh, a big game for him on the weekend. Yeah. I mean, 15 disposals, 10 marks, five of them contested, um, with three of those inside 50s uh, and two goals. I mean, that is close to one of his better games he's played for us. Uh, By the way, 100% disposal efficiency, too.
0: Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's exactly what you'd be looking for for Zach Clark. I mean, obviously, Mm, most most of us last year thought he would be at this, you know, that sort of performance we saw on the weekend would be what we'd see week in, week out. And obviously, that. Having that limited preseason just makes such a difference, and uh, hopefully, you know, obviously there was a bit of a concern last week, even down at Simmons Stadium, with when he came off with that knee. But it was just good to see him rebound, and I think it's also good to see those other guys like Chris Mayne getting back to his um, sort of form that we saw in 2013, and even the, uh, you know, even in defence, you know, with those guys out, you know, it's interesting, you know, we talked about before with uh, obviously. The Eagles losing McKenzie in that, but obviously we haven't had Dawson or Silvani there and yet our defense has still seemed pretty seamless. So uh, full credit to those back six as well and the pressure that the midfield are putting on them as well.
1: Mm. I suppose when you're going over the good performance, some of our guys, like you just mentioned before, Valcom with Zach Clark operating at 100% disposal efficiency. I know it's not a nice stat to look at, but it's great to see some guys like Nick Subin and Luke McFarlane and even Lockie Neal was operating with his huge amount of 42 disposals at 95%. And it was a good amount of kicking and handballing, so it's not just simple cheap ones. It's guys that have really improved their game and we seem to be a bit more accurate getting towards that Hawthorne level of laser kicking and just accurate retention of the footy.
0: Yeah, I think the other person who's had a really great standout start to the year has been Ibbotson as well. He's um, just down back and, uh, you know... How many, how
2: many intercept, intercept marks, marks does he take, day, you reckon? I mean, he oh, had nine marks, marks. of the game. He's probably had four or five of those at least as intercept, intercept marks, which is pretty yeah. valuable.
0: Yeah, no, he's been terrific. And that's the sort of, you know, things that we expect. And, and the other one who's probably, you know, had another terrific goal, you know, standout probably from the start has been... Um, Daniel Pierce obviously um, we've talked a, been plenty of talk on the boards before the start of the uh year about whether he was sort of best twenty two and obviously uh or you know, whether he should even be in the side or not. But he certainly made every poster winner come the first three weeks of the season.
2: Ten inside fifties. I mean, he's close
0: to number one for inside fifties for the competition. Yeah. And I think he was that last year. Him and Hill were right up there in the top inside fifties. So
2: it just But it makes it great. makes sense. And you're at your Barlow you lock in Neil, your Mundy, your Fife, etc., at the at the cold hard face of it, and then out to Hill and Pierce. Yeah, very clever signing. I'll, I'll with hindsight, I'll, I'll say it at the time, but I'll say it now. Very clever signing, Daniel Pierce.
0: Yeah, he was sort of exactly what we were after at the time, and obviously uh, he's been one of those free agency pickups that has actually worked really well. Um, the only us, one that's so. worked
2: for us, isn't it? Well, <laughs> yeah.
0: well, we haven't had too many, obviously. Yeah, but. Uh, as I said, I suppose Zach Dawson was close to it, even though he was a rookie pick. But, I mean, he was pretty it's close to not a free, free agent pick. Agent, so, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, as you said, I mean, it's hard to, to take much out of the West Coast game last week. I mean, they are a bit of a rabble to be on, uh, at the moment. So, um, but as you said, it just shows that sometimes stats aren't a true indication of the game. Like, when you look at guys like Maston and Gaff who got 28 and 27 touches respectively, yet, you know, none of them really stood out as being, you know, you know, major contributors where guys, you know, some of our players who probably had a little bit less probably had more influence with less. So it certainly, as um, like you said, the stats don't always tell a lot but it does, uh, does give us a pretty good indicator. Anything else, Seppo, you want to add from the uh, game on the weekend?
1: Well, I suppose it's just really showing the dominance of our midfield and I know it's been talked about so much, even over here in, the East Coast of Australia, without talking about how good our midfield is, and I even just saw a poll today that um, rated Fremantle's midfield better than Sydney's, is the fact that you look at Sanderlands without Crowley in there. We've now got a combination of Mundy, Neil, and Fife, and maybe Subin or Clancy Pierce if we're going, going for a bit of a tag. But just looking at the contested possessions from that game, from you know, 16 from Fife, 14 from Neil, and 11 from Mundy, and the way they just bullets their way out of the midfield... I know it's going to be a different prospect against other sides, but it's just great to see that that combination, it's just a perfect balance of size and bodies and their skill sets just to get that ball out there. And um, I don't know if it's all down to Kirky or just the players that are just showing their talent. It's just the perfect mix, I think. And I think some of it's taken Barlow out there and put him on the half-forward flank. That might just be a... Um, a good move, I suppose, to set Barlow back a bit on his numbers on last year, but I'd certainly love this combination of Sandlands with Neil at his feet, Fife pulling through, and Mundy just um, with two or three people hanging off him, just dishing out the ball.
0: Yeah, that was an interesting thing that we talked about at the um, start of the year, Seppo, in the pre-season, was the impact that, you know, because we talked a little bit about having Crowley come out of the centre square, where that would actually improve our clearances because a lot of ruck a lot of opposition ruckman were t- tapping it towards where Crowley was and uh, sort of to negotiate or to negate the advantage that we have with Mundy and Fife in there. So, as you said, it's been interesting um, development. Obviously, it's still only early days, but it'll be interesting to see if that continues throughout the year. Um, and I suppose even more interestingly is if um, Crowley does get um, not suspended or um, does get back in, what, what the um, impact or how... Ross Lyon will use him going forward if he do, if he is able to play. Or does what, he even get back in? Back in? <laughs> yeah, That's going to be the million dollar question, isn't it? So it certainly will make it a um, interesting uh, selection meeting, especially when we've got guys like Crozier, Sheridan, and I mean Mazungas come back in this week, but we've got plenty of guys in Dawson, Dawson. Silvani. There's a lot of uh, good players who are sort of knocking the door down to get a game. So it's certainly mm. interesting times if he does um, if he does get cleared. All right. Obviously, the other big news through the week, guys, was the uh, re-signing of Michael Johnson for two years until two thousand and seventeen. A couple of people are a bit iffy about it, with you know, with his back, obviously, from last year. But I mean, I think it's a um, excellent re-signing for us, and uh, you know, just his ability to set up. I mean, set up, play down back, and direct. You know, his disposal lets him down a little bit at times, but he certainly makes up for it in other ways. And I mean, I think it's more than that. a two-year contract is more than worth. You know, more than adequate for him, and I think it's um, a good re-signing. What do you guys think? Oh, definitely.
1: In terms of the skill and what he provides to the team, a bit of leadership um, is fantastic and great to keep in mind for a couple of years. Especially if we are looking at losing McFarland at the end of this year. My only concern would have been his back, like the way we saw him play the end of last year, and you wouldn't want that for another two years. But from what we've seen so far, he's sort of back to his best. I don't think he's taken the game on and being that sort of adventurous too much. He probably doesn't need to be. He's probably taken more of a key position role with the absence of Silvani and Dawson down there. But I like the way he's playing and certainly can see two more years of it because he's hasn't lost it yet, providing he's staying fit. So oh, I like the signing and it's pretty good to get one of many that are out of contract and are locked away.
2: Yeah, I'm happy, I'm happy with the signing as well, and be much better when um, Dawson comes back, and he can get to play that third tall, floating tall, floating third man up tight role. Where, uh, as you said, he can get the ball and rebound out a lot more. It's always nice seeing the ball him with the uh, with the, with the ball in hand rather than say Dawson.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I mean that's another interesting thing when Dawson does come back and is available. Uh, you know, obviously we've got guys down there whose disposal is. Uh, you know, most of the guys who are playing down in the back at the moment, their disposal is pretty solid and, you know, and, and they're all able to kill. I mean, McFarlane generally plays within his limitations, but when you've got elite users like Ibbotson's been very, very good. Duffield is an elite kick.
2: <laughs> when thing, you're looking at Lee you're probably, probably your worst kick, kick in the back, back six right back. now.
0: Yeah. I mean, And, <laughs> and he's, he's not a bad, bad kick. kick. No, that's right. I mean, obviously, for us now when you've got Ibbotson, and I mean, Johnson, you know, he can have his moments, but, you know, as you said, when you've got... Um, and, you know, Sutcliffe is also a really good runner and that sort of stuff. It's uh, certainly looking good. And Sutcliffe's
2: uh, just doing his apprenticeship on the back line until he becomes a midfielder in a couple of years' time. I see him being that uh, uh, same role that they did with Mundy. He plays his bid in the half-back line and then they moves into the midfield and he becomes gold class. I see yeah. they're doing the same thing with Sutcliffe.
0: Yeah, and I think that's also probably a bit of a reason with our list. You know, we just really still probably lack that other small defender. I mean, even though he's playing the role really well, but... Anyone who watched him play when he was a um, rookie for East Fremantle, just um, you know his work along the wing there—he was streaming down the wing, yeah, yeah. And he'll, uh, as you said, I think him and I think down the track, obviously him and Sheridan will, um, and I think Sheridan will probably go through that same apprenticeship that um, Sutcliffe is at the moment, and eventually he'll uh, do that same sort of thing because I think he will be certainly another player who, uh, you know, has started the season well. Unfortunately, he got that calf injury, but he'll be back this week and. Probably have to work his way back into the side, but I think he'll certainly be another player who'll be down that way. Mm. All right. Also during the week, guys, there was obviously a um the Fremantle seconds played the East Perth seconds, uh or Eagles seconds with East Perth. And uh Fremantle for the first time in a long time had uh three wins on the trot with a nine goals sixteen seventy to seven goals five forty-seven. And uh Peel Thunder once again were able to uh get three wins in the trot and uh once again, we had a number of guys who um, put in good performances there who were once again pushing for spots. But in particular, uh, Mazungu had 27 touches, Conor Blakely another 23, and Ballard with 29. Um, and obviously, the other one who was a bit of a standout by all well, accounts um, was Ed Langdon as well, who uh, plays, you know, played a cracking game by all accounts from um, down there. I didn't get to, fortunately, I was in Melbourne, but by all accounts, he played a terrific game and uh, looks like another good player coming through for us.
2: The other one I heard had a good game was um, Alex Pierce, and looks like he's been rewarded. But we'll get to that a bit later on. But um, no, apparently he played really well down the back line as well. So,
0: and also Seppo, your man Brady Gray, um, starting to show a little bit as a back pocket player and uh, in defence there, and uh, also the ability to run a bit online, uh, sort of on ball as a tagger. So, um, you know, depending on what happens down the track, he may get a crack as well.
1: Mm, it, it almost seems like he's a perfect mould replacement for that small defender we've been looking for or even Spur if he keeps on cutting himself open and breaking himself every game. He seems like the perfect replacement, even for just the way he goes about it. I didn't catch the game myself, but just reading the comments on how Brady attacked the football and just, you know, almost playing chicken with the opposition for winning the ball. He goes in really hard and just like the way that it probably doesn't reflect on these stats, but it just looks like he's starting to develop into that real tough nut and, um guy that probably we need if he's actually playing down the back pocket for peel and starts to get used to the Fremantle away he'll slot into the side and he probably sit there on the emergencies again a couple of times but if we need to call up on him i reckon he's he's ready for it
0: yeah and i think uh, well I, and that would have been the really pleasing thing i think for the freo match staff is the fact that alex pierce and brady gray were the two voted best on you know best two on the ground and obviously Mazungu there as well and uh you know, we'll have a little bit look at Mazungu's role a bit more. I think when we get into the preview, but I think it's uh, all good signs for Fremantle, and obviously they've got a much better blend this year with uh, runners and talls. Last year, though, anyone who watched Port, I mean Peel, were just uh, they were just way too tall and uh, didn't have the midfield. But with the inclusions of Langdon, Weller, Blakely, those sort of guys, they're obviously looking a lot better and a uh, lot more better sort of mix between uh, talls and smalls, and that, hence they're able to. Uh, win a few more games than they did last year. And Ballard, once again, is racking up the ball. He just needs to improve on his disposal a bit. But if he can do that, I think he'll also be a player who could, you know, um, do something for us in the future. All right. Obviously, the uh, big thing this week, guys, and Seppo, if you want to do the ins and outs this week, we've obviously got Fremantle and Sydney in the uh, annual Len Hall game at the main stadium.
2: Uh, real, real simple this week. In Mzungu, out Crozier, as uh, omitted... The interesting one for me, though, is um, the emergencies with uh, Jack Handith, Tommy Sheridan and uh, Alex Pearce.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've got sort of one of everything in there with the Ruckman midfielder and defender. And obviously, for Sydney, they've brought in Nick Smith, who will obviously probably get the job on uh, Mickey Walters. And Dean Towers has been omitted. so
2: Obviously, just a balancing again to get uh, Smith in for the uh, small forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as I said, it would be one of those... um, Game. So it'd be interesting to see how they use Rampy and Smith down there, obviously, without Valentine in there. So it should be a. Um, but obviously, there's been plenty of talk this week, Seppo, about the game. Obviously, Mzungu comes in, and I think he's just going to be that. I think if um, we were playing someone who wasn't Sydney or, you know, one of the weak, weaker sides, I reckon they may have kept Crozier in there. But I think just with the big body, and particularly the fact that Sydney have got those three big fours in Tippett, Reed, and Franklin, I think Mzungu's ability to cut off. Traffic, particularly working up and back the ground, I think was would have been not, the main reason. And not afraid to, to stand
2: in the way to take a mark.
0: Absolutely, mm. and he's just got that extra bulk. And even though he's not that tall, I mean he's only just six footy, but he plays taller than that. And he's just that he has that ability to cut off traffic. And uh, I think it's um, I think just I was talking about again as well. I think it's um, he just offers a bit more
2: flexibility for the Ross line plan. You can go, you can go and play back. You can go and run on the wing. You can do stints in midfield, or you can go forward because you know he's a good overhead mark and pretty solid kick for goal when when he gets his opportunity so i just think he offers more flexibility than crozier who's more a um high half forward wingman type role doesn't really give much flexibility and
1: crozier still hasn't come on with his development in terms of uh, a full body size he's obviously got a set of skills there but i think just a bit more time and experience and he still looks small yeah yeah he 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 has the skills we've sort of shown his composure is probably starting to build, um, but until he gets to the side of well, I suppose Mzungu is, I'd prefer to take Mzungu into this game. Different opponent against the Eagles, perfectly see why Crozier gets the game there, but it's quite hard looking at this, who sort of becomes the natural sub, because we're, we're starting to look at just putting the same guys like Boer and Subin in there that just don't seem like great subs, but it's almost like, well, you're probably the... Um, in line for all the other guys probably deserve the start and have a better role to play.
2: Um, well, does Muzungu become the the sub, and that way, uh, if we're needing an issue down back, he comes in for someone down there, or if we're needing something up like forward, he can come in. He's like I said, that that flexibility he can come in and play a role.
1: But that sort of doesn't play anywhere. into his role because what Muzungu is really suited for is the the run all day job. So there'd yeah, be a lot really of other players impact. that. Yeah, don't really have that impact when they come on guys that sort of have short stints that can. And it'd be quite interesting because I reckon Daniel Pierce is a sub. Even though he's had fantastic games so far, could actually work coming on. And just wow. the way he plays. Still may, want on. I still want him to
2: start, though. Still want him to start. It just,
1: it's the type of player you want to come on that can have an in- impact from a couple of disposals. Daniel Pierce, I suppose Walters are type of players that, you know, if Walters is carrying a rolled ankle into this or something like that or reduced that game time, you know, yeah. you'd love them out there for a full game. But probably by nature, you probably just say, all right, Boer and Subin because they're probably the least. Uh, um, sort of in line for a a full game and a start based on performances so far this year. But even then, Subin's had some cracking games so far, and same with De Boer, even from some limited game time himself. So
2: it's picking a sub's th- very hard to do out of this list that's out. I agree. There. I mean, Clancy Pierce is your other option as well. I mean, similar to Tyrone, He's the kind of guy who will go all day, bash and crash.
1: Mm. And Clancy Pierce has almost got that tagging role now That's the Crowley replacement Just named in a different position but He's only I mean, tagged one half started.
2: out of three games
1: Yeah I suppose But he's, he's played on the wing a bit Got some key matchups Like the job he did on Boak was fantastic And against Sydney I'm not sure if he's gonna we're going to go match up head to head on Kennedy But there's a lot of players that Clancy Pierce can probably do a job on That you'd probably think they might They probably can't I think he's been a sub probably two or three times before for us But it's just interesting, probably looking at all the players on the park there over the past two years or however long the sub's been in, and you probably go back to guys like Sutcliffe and um, Subin that have probably had the vest the most out of all those players out there. Yeah, I
0: think. Uh, yeah, I think personally, they'll. Um, I think Pierce has to play. I think they're gonna. I think they gave Deborah a run last week, just to um, you know give him a full quarter, so he didn't have to run laps after the game, but. I think they just like. I, I think if you look back at that port game, he just had a real impact when he came on in the last quarter there, he's, mm. and it's just that hard body. I think they have like I, you know, past that. Um, Ross Lyons love to shut down Kieran Jack, and I think Clancy Pierce would probably be a good matchup for him in that regard. And I don't can't see them take. They can't afford to take Pierce off because if they take Pierce off, then um, they'll just concentrate on shutting down Hill. Yeah, I agree. Them. I don't
2: think, don't think, except by saying that Pierce should be the sub. Just that yeah. type of player should be sub. But we don't really have it. We've got the, the, the foot soldiers, the Clancy Pierce, the Matt Deboer, the mazungu the um, Crozier, the Subin, those type of guys. We don't really. It's hard to put an impact player who but, are vital to us, like your son, son, and your. Um, Daniel Pierce, those guys, but it'd be amazing if you could have that type of player as your emergency. At least we're
1: not in the type of position where you've got a player like uh, Adam Goods as the sub trying to uh, squeeze in, and I'll say he's been left out of the uh, Sydney side to play in the uh, Niffl again. So it's um, yeah, there's teams that have really good strength across the board are obviously struggling, in, and this sub rules almost as it's been discussed on the board is. Probably one that would probably change with the um, implementation of a, a cap on interchange, so the sub might disappear in another year or two
0: yeah, I think that, I think whichever way it goes I mean i'd be surprised if it wasn't either the Boar and Mazungu between each other, so whether one starts and one comes in or the other and they'll go the other way depending unless someone's out there having a shocker or there's an injury, but you'd have to think the remaining guys that are out there are all not going to come off unless there's a particular reason so you would have to think something like
2: happens yeah yeah
0: so you would have to think unless suban stinks it up or something like that there'd be suban Deboer, mzungu those would be the three guys you would have to think the rest of the players that are out there are all pretty critical to the structure i mean even clancy pierce to a degree but um you know he's he's done his role and i mean it'll be just interesting to see which way they go but i you have to think it'll be have to be one of those three guys depending on which way they want to go um In the matchup, so I mean, if you're looking at um, just the two, do you you think Luke will go to um, Buddy Franklin rather than um, straight up off the uh, off the bat?
2: You think Mifflin will be first to go to uh, to Buddy?
0: Yeah, we've had Johnson.
1: I remember when Franklin was playing for Hawthorne, We've actually had Johnson. Up on Franklin, especially wants to go up the ground because especially, McFarlane yeah, that's seems up on the room, to stay close to goal. So I think McFarlane might even go to Tippett if he's playing in the square and Johnson, let Johnson run up the uh, ground, especially when they uh, use Buddy against us in that final last year going up the ground. It's um, going to be quite interesting because Luke almost seems to stop at the 15 metre line once his opponent runs out and lets him. Take that long kick and not too worry about it, and obviously he plays a lot tighter. So it all depends on who's closer to goal. I think for the Franklin Tippett Johnson McFarland matchups.
2: Agreed. Um, somebody we probably should mention we haven't is uh, Lockie Neal playing his fiftieth game. Yeah,
1: absolutely. You yeah,
2: get to no. the idea. Of that one out right out
1: quickly, just like Sutcliffe's
2: last week. I think. Did it you was. hear there was a? Uh, was one of the interviews. I think it, uh, pretty certain it was with Sutcliffe, and Sutcliffe was telling, um, saying that. Um, Lockie Neal was saying to him, skip a game, skip a game, so we can play our 50th together.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but um, I suppose it's probably not a bad time as well, Seppo, with the, uh, just bringing up Lockie Neal with his 50th. We have to probably do a quick shout out to Arcasius and Tim for their awesome thread on the um, on the big footy forums about um, just, you know, obviously Lockie Neal as a footballer, but also with the player managers and all that sort of stuff, it's been a terrific read, and uh, Strongly suggest anyone who hasn't had a chance to um, have a read of it probably uh, jump on the forums and have a look because it's definitely uh, one of the better threads and probably going to be hard to beat for post of the year, I think.
1: Yeah, it's certainly good. So if you're looking for it, it's the Q&A with Lockie Neal's manager. So Tim Lawrence has um, kindly arranged with our Cassies to come in there and just really get some good questions answered. And, and there's a lot of people in our forum that put some good questions rather than the uh, other stuff we've seen in the past where we've tried to get people involved. So it's great to see that on there. And if you haven't already... Check it out; it's a good thread, and there's some really interesting stuff in there, not just in relation to um, Lockie Neal himself, but just to football managers in general and, and what goes on behind the scenes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The um, obviously, there's been most of the talk has been on the um, matchups in the midfield this weekend. I don't know if you guys managed to catch uh, league teams earlier tonight, but um, they were talking about the A grade and B graders and stuff in there. And uh, David Parkin, interestingly, had uh, David Mundy and Lockie Neal as B grade. Um, Midfielders, I, don't, I think he got shouted down pretty quickly by the rest of the panel, but uh, <laughs> it was certainly interesting to have a look at uh, who, who he rated as the A and the B graders for each club.
2: The interesting one was um, on the couch on Monday night, Jonathan Brown salivating over the midfield battle.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's just going to be an awesome... I uh, think. Do you think they're going to go Nat Fife and Josh Kennedy head-to-head, or do you think... Oh, uh,
2: that would be pretty awesome to watch, wouldn't it?
0: Yeah. Or do you think they'll... Uh, Try and use sort of one of their uh, shutdown sort of players in there. I mean, the other interesting one will be who goes with Luke Parker. I mean, in the past, obviously, Crowley's played a bit on Hanbury as well, um, and Hanbury's been in great form. So, be interesting to see how those how they use those matchups, and uh, you know, whether they keep moving them around until they get the matchup they want, or um, whether they just go head to head the whole way, or whether they use some of the gating midfielders as well. So, it's definitely going to be a um, cracking. Uh, contest in there and more often than not if you get enough ball in there it's gonna be uh it's gonna be whoever uses that ball inside fifty best I think.
2: Mm. I'm keen to see how um Sydney are gonna try and compete in the ruck. I mean they've got Mike Pike and Kurt Tippett really is the uh maybe I don't think Sam Reed does much in the ruck, but going up against uh Santa and Clark, I think that's gonna be an interesting battle
1: especially as Clark looks like he's improved on that final we faced against Sydney last year. He was even carrying an injury through that. Clark certainly stepped it up a notch. So that combination yeah. now, I think, oh, I can't remember the stats we've had for hit out so far, but certainly sandland has been dominating a heap so far. So watch out yeah. Mike Pike and uh, Tippett because they're <laughs> going to be coming up against them. I even just noticed looking through the uh, the AFL preview and little clips um, videos yeah. and, there's a little segment just with Mike Pike talking about coming up against Aaron Sandland. So uh, he's a respected Ruckman and there's a lot of people that give Mike Pike a bit of praise, but if he's praising Aaron Sandlands and saying it's one of the biggest challenges for a Ruckman, it's you just know how good our Aaron Sandlands is.
0: Yeah, it'd be, uh, I thought uh, last week Mumford would have done a bit better job on Pike, but I, I thought Pike was pretty solid last week. And uh, obviously Sandlands is the class above that, but, um, but Just in terms of bulk, so it will certainly be an interesting matchup. And in the past, Sydney were one of those teams in particular, when we just talked about a little bit before about the way that they would um, try, even if they got the tap, they would always try to go where Crowley was just to uh, brew that sort of um, hit out. So it'd be interesting to see which way um, that Ace, who Sydney go towards when they win the tap out and where Freeman will go. Obviously, they, they, the five to us. Uh, Is always our first option, and obviously Monday the second, and then you've got Neil as well. But be interesting to see which way Sydney go to either negate Fremantle or to get where they think they've got a perceived advantage in there. So it'll certainly be interesting. The other major thing as well will be the um, size of the ground. Obviously Sydney play the congested area of the SCG well, and you know they don't they don't play over here very often. I think it's eight out of the 29 times we've played it over here. So. I know lucky read on Channel 10 News tonight saying that Sydney have won five of the last six at Subi, but that, that five of those were against uh, West Coast, so it really doesn't have a lot of uh, validity, that statement. Obviously, we beat them last time um, over here in the preliminary final. So it would be interesting to see how they go with that extra space in, you know, in ter- particularly because I don't think a lot of their uh, midfielders are sort of super quick guys, but obviously in uh, they've got beautiful hands in close and their ability, I think, to sort of handball around in traffic is probably as good as anyone in the league, I think, even even when you compare them to sort of Hawthorne and Sydney, uh, sorry, Hawthorne and Freo, I think their uh, ability to sort of handball in close within a four or five-metre circles is probably as good as anyone going around.
1: Mm. Does anyone think that a player like Lance Franklin could be the difference and and give Sydney a a big advantage over us without Savani out there? Because every time he's been matched up, he's certainly... uh, Kept him quiet, but this time it, it's – the matchup sort of favours Sydney in terms of their combination of Franklin and Tippett, I think,
2: over us. But well, if we means can that keep Ibbots, the ball out of
1: the midfield, we we'll, won't have to worry about it.
2: Well, that, that's what they've been talking about all week is the midfield applying uh, the, the, the squeeze to stop the flow going in there. But – I don't think Buddy's really got off the chain against us too often. Whether he's playing on Dawson, Johnson, McFarlane, but the combination of those three rotating, depending on where he is at the top, uh, up the ground, down the ground, etc. I think the bigger issue is the third tall. Is it a, you know, with Sam Reid? He hasn't obviously been playing too well. Is he going to be able to use his height advantage against an Ibbotson or a, or a Duffield? type player who's going to have to go and play in him because normally you can get like a Johnson who'll be able to run off of him because you'll have Dawson and McFarlane playing Tippett and Franklin. I think that might be where the potential advantage is. I I don't see. I mean, Franklin's Franklin. If he kicks three, he kicks three. So what? Um, The other issue is going to be Jetta and Heaney we are going to go there, you've got uh, Sutcliffe and then the other of um, Duffield or Ibbotson, who probably aren't going to be as quick to catch up with Jeter and Heaney. I think that's where their advantage in that forward line is the speed of those two rather than their height. And Heaney's only, what, three games into three
1: his career? Three games but in, he's, he's, a great player. <laughs> he's certainly uh, shortening up as the um, I'll just give it favourite to now. for the uh, <laughs> just give rising, to now. Star. rising star. He's, yeah, he's that
0: good. Yeah. The only one who I think in the rising star who could do something is Jesse Hogan. If he still, um, if he can have a pretty solid year, as particularly as a key forward, mm. he might. I mean, as you said, though, he wouldn't be wanting wanting to be backing against Teeny at the moment. But, but
2: depending yeah. on um, how many games against Nakia, uh, what's his name, Nakia, Nakia Cockatoo,
0: yeah, you know, maybe think, him. No, I don't think he's going to do enough.
2: No, I agree, But yeah, he's sort of that yeah. outside runner.
0: Yeah, there was but no,
2: so – I think that that small pace of those forward line is going to be more issue than the than the, uh, the Franklin Tippett-Reed, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I don't think Sutcliffe... I think Sutcliffe will be able to handle either one of those two players. I think they'll probably play Sutcliffe on Jetta because he's a little bit quicker and Sutcliffe mm. can hurt him the other way. I think whoever they play um, on Heaney... Well, like,
2: hopefully Spur and just body him around a bit.
0: Yeah, or even... I think, you know, well, as you said, well, it depends on because... It depends on whether they consider him to be a threat or not aerially because they, whoever was on him... I think even if it's someone like Mazungu, they'll just try and peel off him as much as they can to mm. do that extra support. The other thing as well that probably, you know, does get sort of left behind is that when McFarlane played on Tippett, I mean, um, Buddy Franklin, when he was at Hawthorne, he always played him exceptionally well. And if anyone remembers back to that final, he drove, you know, Buddy just about to, um, you know, to despair and um, yep. just about lashed out. And... Uh, I think which, is why, which
2: is why I don't think that tall, the tall players is more the issue. It's more those small running guys that are going to be the issue for us, I think.
0: Yeah. It'll be interesting to see which way they um, they match up. And if we go the other way, even in their forward line, if you look at their uh, back line, the Sydney back line, obviously you'd have to think that Richards will go to Pavlich. Um, but then you've got obviously guys like, I think Nick Smith is a top player and he'll obviously take Walters. But then after that, it's going to be interesting because you've got Laidler, Reese Shaw and Rampy now. If we can get guys like Sandlins and Zach Clark down there, even Tabena, I think we can stretch them a bit down back there, particularly if we can get that quick ball moving in.
2: And then you've got the likes of Fife, um, Barlow going down there, who have got height money, goes down there occasionally, just that extra, and I get another six-two, six-three guy going in there for that height.
0: And those guys who play negating roles for them, such as Craig Bird and those type of players, um, you know, I mean, even Lloyd's a bit of a you know, negating type player. Those sort of guys will be... Um, They'll, they'll struggle to, cap, you know, if we do rotate those guys forward like Fife. So it'll be definitely interesting to see how they go because they're, they're not a hugely tall side the Sydney midfield and uh, I think we can expose them if we rotate them correctly through that forward line. Um, yeah, I, I think
2: better. our height is a, is a definitely an advantage up forward and I think their smalls is the advantage for them and then you obviously got your pretty even matchup through the midfield.
0: Yeah, because obviously the other two guys that are on their bench, as you talked about before... Uh, Balkram is with uh, Ben McGlynn and Gary Rowan, and they're both quite quick and they love playing forward. And McGlynn's one of those players who can get under the radar a little bit. And uh, as you said before, you know it, he's kicked two or three goals. So he'd be another one that they'd have to be uh, looking pretty carefully at. Mm. Any other sort of matchups or anything else that uh, stands out to you, Seppo?
1: Um, other than the fact that I uh, must confess that a bit of man love for Luke Parker, because I think he's probably one of the best um, Sydney Swans player out there in terms of just generally what he can do and turn the tide of a game or just rack up disposals and just basically do what Fife does for us. He's uh, probably one of their better players out there. And if he starts to run hot, he can um, certainly uh, push Sydney forward. And i just love to be able to get this win and just maintain our dominance. And people might sort of brush off our few wins. But if we can come out of this with a win against this sort of almost full-strength side, I'm not sure if Sydney are actually missing too many people and – if we compare our, our list from when we last played them over there in that final, you know, we I suppose we had a couple of guys injured and, and missing and just really starting to break down towards the end of the year. Um, but now a lot of those players had bad games or were injured or almost fit in firing. So we're probably in a better position. I'm not sure what Sydney are, but just as a general overall team sense, I think we're right into form. yet Sydney. Probably haven't started, this. Well, obviously, the same position as us with three wins, but it doesn't seem like they've come out with the same intensity of we've played with the opponents, who obviously, Essendon after that first start and GWS. And I can't remember their other game they've played, but, um, yeah, it's uh, just a different kettle of fish, I think, the way that we've come into this side, and I just hope we can get a result here and just keep us on the top of that ladder and, and really just push not only for a, a top four but a top two spot because it looks like it's going to be quite important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, when you think about, you know, obviously there's been a lot of talk this week about how Lockie Neal fell to pick 58 for Fremantle, but when you think about Luke Parker fell to pick 40 in that um, 2010 draft and, you know, you look at some of those guys who got picked ahead of him and, you know, and he's probably, you know, if he redid that draft now, he'd probably be arguably, if not one of the top, you know, two or three players in that draft. I mean, you know, and that was the one where Gold Coast had a lot of picks early on too. so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he'd certainly been in the top 10 picks for sure. He's a terrific player and, you know, he'll certainly be in a mainstay of the Sydney midfield for years to come. And it'll be interesting to see how who Fremantle will go to head-to-head with. Someone like Mzungu would be a perfect matchup for him or DeBoer because um, he's got that strength to be able to counter um, Luke Parker. But I um, don't know if necessarily they've got the ounce around the ground. So it'll be certainly an interesting matchup in the way that they decide to uh, sort of... Whether, how they use Luke Parker and how Fremantle negate him because he's certainly one of their driving forces. Who do you think? Uh, Jeremy McVeigh obviously is another key player for them and he obviously quite often will play across the... I mean, you'd have to think Maine would play on him if he plays across that half-back line, um, but he has been sort of moving a little bit forward and back lately, so who do you think will get the uh, job on him because he's obviously another key player for them? Well, it can, it's going to be that
2: yeah, rotating between like, and Duffield... Or- um, Clancy yeah. Pierce or um, Lee Spur type that are going to go there depending on where they are at certain times.
0: The other um, interesting thing I think, and I think you touched on it a little bit earlier, guys, was the um, fact that Fremantle this year in the mold of probably Hawthorne have been a lot more, you know, they talked about flexibility before the start of the season but you're starting to really notice it like this year, you know, you see they're rotating different guys through the middle of the square. Um, Even though we've got our usual set there, like Pav comes in quite regularly now for, you know, probably once or twice a quarter just to change things up a little bit. And they just rotate, you know, even Clancy Pierce has been in there a few times, Subin's been in there a few times. And they're just rotating guys a lot more in through the middle there than they have in the the past where they were very rigid in the structure they played and who played where. And they didn't rotate from it very much. But now this year they seem to have gone a lot more uh, sort of flexible in terms of who plays where across the ground.
2: I think mean, that's just part of the evolving nature of what uh, Ross has got Frio doing. I mean, he, they've been talking about it for a couple of seasons now that, you know, players need to be multifaceted and able to play multiple positions. I mean, why do you think Maine was training with the defenders all, all pre-season, just getting different facets into their game? And that's starting to pay to, you know, where you can run 9, 10, 11 guys through the centre bounce or through midfield rotations.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, well, as I said all. We'll see a bit more of the proof in the pudding this week. And I think Gerard Whateley probably put it best on AFL 360 tonight when he said uh, really we'll see who the number one contender at the moment is after this game because really you'd have to think Hawthorne being the reigning premiers and still up there and uh, Sydney and are those two teams, probably pushing for that, uh, you know, for that side to uh, push against them. So it'll uh, probably tell us a little bit about both teams this weekend with... Uh, you know, I mean, Sydney haven't played like they played GWS, and GWS hung in with them for a long time. Essendon were on top of them early for three quarters, and then they had a pretty pretty good win in you know round two. But I think Fremantle, in sort of uh, the teams they've played, have certainly been stronger against the teams they've played. So it'd be interesting to see uh, how that form translates this week, particularly on the uh, bigger expanses of Domain uh, Stadium. Mm. All right. So who do you uh, what are our tips, boys? Who do we think will uh, get up? Seppo, who do you think, mate? Huh?
1: Well, I'm going to go 3 and I'm not going to stick with that theory I had before with uh, five goals and just a 30-point win. I think I'm going to scale it back to roughly what they've put up on the preview. Most people are tipping us to win by about 15, 16 points, so I'll, I'll th- stick with that number, 16 points.
0: And, Valcom, how about yourself?
2: Uh, as always, I want to tip 3 uh, I get us by about the 2 goal mark, so 12, 13 points.
0: All right, I'm going to go a little bit higher only because it's uh, the Len Hall game and I think Freo will uh, come out all guns blazing and uh, I think the ferocity of the game will, and I think there'll be a certainly, uh, you know, certainly being a night game and everything like that, the crowd will be right into it and I think Freo will uh, get up by 26. So, and uh, continue their unbeaten run to the year, but it certainly will be a, um, you know, I thought the Port, even though Port and uh, Geelong games, I think this will probably be our, Biggest test because both teams match up really well and Port obviously had guys like lob out and that sort of stuff, or Lobby, however you say it. Um, we'll go from there. Anything else you want to bring up, uh, Seppo, before we finish this week, mate?
1: Um, no, other than the fact that um, the Papad J has been putting great effort into the um, collating of votes this year already so far. So every game, just make sure you visit the 3D Pops up and put your votes in for the players because it, it's uh, just great to see how we uh, all view the players from each week on week and sort of build up our own little uh, um mvp at the end of the year and for sam ffc for organizing the uh tontine tipping competition great to see that running and me and about four or five others already left after the uh quick exit of everyone this year so it's always great comms to see on so make sure you get involved in that across the board and um yeah look out for any new ones that pop up over the year
0: all right thanks for that Seppo. excellent and uh Alkram, thanks again for joining us, mate. It's great to have you back on board. Not a problem.
2: Just sort of quick mention: Frio just announced the uh, Starlight Purple Haze uh, record-breaking donations for the round. Uh, One hundred and fifty-six thousand seven hundred and thirty-two dollars and eighty-five cents. That's, That's a fantastic effort. Yeah, great numbers.
0: And uh, yeah, and a quick shout out to those guys I know. Uh, being with Keguilly, my old town. Uh, shout out to those guys out in Keguilly. I know they did a lot of fundraising out there this year as well with the uh, the, the,
2: the, the Dowson, Dowson family with their and and Co.
0: Yeah, doing the uh, Starlight uh, Dowson family.
2: Outdoors, so. Dowson family in Goldfields community alone raised an incredible sixty well, thousand dollars.
0: So go. yeah, big shout out. Yeah, absolutely, and that's a terrific effort by all those guys and the Dowson family in particular, um, because it's certainly going towards a great cause. So, um, and uh, let's hope the uh, and you know, as I said, between that and the Anzac spirit this week, we uh, end up getting on board. And uh, thanks again for joining us, Seppo. Always great to have you on board, mate.
1: No worries. I'm looking for another win in the bank and sitting here next week discussing the same things.
0: Absolutely. And uh, that's it for this week and we will catch you next week. Bye for now.